Would you pray with me? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for, um, for sending your Son uh, to not just be um, an example to follow, Lord, but to be the King, to conquer death and introduce us to life, Lord, to be uh, given all authority, to be over all things so that you could be, uh, so that he could be the center of our lives, like was just sung. So, Lord, we want that to be true even right now, that the center of our attention, the center of our focus would be right here, right now, what's in front of us, uh, in your word, on our laps, and uh, not what's ahead of us in an hour or two, um, not what was just behind us an hour or two before. Help us to be here present um, with everything, with all our mind and all our strength, uh, so that you can do what you will with us, make us into the people you want us to be, so that we leave here changed and more on mission for you. And we ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Um, we uh, just spent quite a while going through the book of Matthew. We t- took little breaks here and there, but here we are at the end. Um, I want to look at the very last paragraph one, one more time and a little bit more in depth because as we walk through the book of Matthew, there's this heavy emphasis that Christ is king. You'll remember that in the beginning, uh, you know, Herod wanted to be king. He didn't want Jesus to be king, so he tries to stamp out uh, the birth of Jesus. But you have the wise men, the, the magi that are... Uh, have this sense of royalty about them and they bring gifts and worship Jesus as king. So there you have that contrast. Are you going to accept Jesus as king or are you not going to accept him as king? The Pharisees didn't want him as king. The Sadducees didn't want him as king. Uh, You know, Rome didn't want him as king. Um, A very small few band of disciples uh, wanted him as king, but even they didn't quite get it, did they? There's always this little faith problem. Um, all the way through the gospel. But Jesus coached them. Jesus helped them. He, he kept giving them grace. And here we are today at the end of the book of Matthew. And your faith might be uh, uttering. <laughs> your faith might be strong. Um, but God calls us to a, a, a discipleship that goes beyond excuses of what we can, what we can't do. And when I think of one of those areas in church life that we pass theologically but don't necessarily pass practically, one of those areas would be the enterprise of evangelism. I mean, if I, if, if I passed out a test, you know, and it was something about evangelism, you know, should we do it? Uh, uh, is it good to do? Does God want us to do it? We'd go check, check, check. You know, I think most of us would probably pass that test on paper. But if we passed out a survey and said, this week, this month, this year, when have you done that? Have you ever led someone to Christ? Have you ever sat down with somebody and walked them through the basics of the gospel? Maybe a lot more of us would fail that second one than we would the first one because there's a gap between what we know and what we do, maybe much more than in other areas of our lives. Um, We understand the importance of a lot of these other things that God has commanded us to do, the importance of even gathering together in worship. You're here. You know, if we pass out a a sheet, is it important to go to church? Yes, and then we pass on another sheet. But do you? Yeah, I think a lot of us really check that. That's one of the things I love about this church. 
So there's a lot of things that the things that we believe and the things that we actually do are close. Maybe we mess up once in a while, but they're close. Then there's a few things, that I think, and not just Christian Fellowship Church, it's across America, uh, there's a bigger gap between what we know and what we do. We know we should evangelize. We know we should talk to people about the Lord, but maybe I feel uh, incompetent. Maybe I feel like I don't have the ability. I'm not a preacher. I'm not a pastor. I'm not a Bible study leader. I'm not a blog writer. I'm not an author. I'm not a, a worship song writer. I'm not, you know, all these kind of things that we think would make it easier for us to talk to people. Um, I don't have a degree in this stuff. You know, I, I don't know enough of the Bible. I don't have enough verses memorized. I think a lot of us can easily come up with reasons why we feel like we're not up to par. We're not up to that task of talking to people about the gospel. What if they have questions? I don't have all the answers. And on and on. But another reason I think that we have, maybe we wouldn't express it, but we kind of... Uh, defer the task of evangelism, don't we? We, we defer it to the evangelists. We, we defer it to the sort of the loud mouths. Uh, we get upset when they do a bad job of it. When they're standing on the corner and they're just blasting people to gospel on Michigan Avenue and we're like, <laughs> just making it. Okay, but maybe his way of doing it is better to our way of not doing it, to, to quote D.L. Moody. Um, getting out there and, and sharing it. This passage that we're going to look at today is, is the passage that's been called the Great Commission. This is where Jesus gives us an explicit, uh, clear command to evangelize. And I think as we unpack it a little bit, we'll have a better understanding of why this is important. Let's turn to Matthew and the very last chapter of Matthew, chapter 28. We just sort of touched on it. Uh, last week, but there was so much to cover, and um, I, I want to unpack it a little bit more. Jesus gives this great commission, this command, this mandate to go out and and bring the gospel, teach the gospel. But when you look at it, it's given to the eleven disciples. And you wonder, maybe this is like in, for the apostles. You know, this is for church leaders. Church leaders should be doing this. And we can support church leaders to do it. We can give money for church leaders to do it. But it should be pastors, missionaries. Those are the ones that should be definitely out there actively doing it. And then when we have our uh, review, yearly review maybe, of the pastor's performance, we should see, is he doing it, is he not? Maybe he's not doing it well enough. Let's get a new pastor. Um, many churches do that. And then pastors get burned, you know. They, they, they didn't bring in enough people. Many churches, their interview process, the main piece of the interview process for the incoming candidate, the, the pastor that's candidating, is how many people did you grow your church, your last church to, and how many people do you think you can grow our church to? It's pinned on the pastor. When missionaries come home from furlough or whatever you want to call that, uh, they're kind of backing away from that term now, whatever. They come home, right, for their break, for their time to kind of connect with churches. And then churches grill them. Well, how many people did you save? That's not really happening. You know, we're going to move our funds over to this other missions organization because you've been there for three years and you have two converts? I think a lot of the early pioneer missionaries that we, that we have biographies about and we, we sort of lionize these, these men and women uh, would have failed a lot of churches' interviews. Uh, but we, we, push, we tend to push this off onto the experts in the field 
And those of us that are, you know, at home just working our nine to five jobs, we just, hey, you know, we'll just support money and you guys do it. But let's look at this. Jesus has the attention of these disciples. It says, verse 16, now the 11 disciples went to Galilee. That's where Jesus told them to meet them, to meet him. They went to Galilee to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. When we look at that paragraph, he's got his 11 guys, not the 120 disciples, but the 11. The 11 that he spent extra time with. The 11 that he specifically, you know, he looked them in the eyes and said, follow me. Uh, the 11 that he taught about how the church is going to start, how the kingdom is going to, going to advance. These guys are apostles. These guys are the founders of the church. They were the first missionaries. They planted churches. They installed pastors and elders into these churches. These are the ones that died for the faith first. Um, they're his apostles. And when he takes these 11 disciples and gives them this command, the question is, is the command just for those apostles, those church leaders that are preachers, teachers, uh, have insider knowledge, have spent more time with Jesus. There's something special about the office of apostle. In fact, some denominations don't believe this, but uh, most conservative evangelical mainline denominations believe that the office of apostle is not around today. I would agree with that, and I hope you do too, because the apostles did things we don't do, like write scripture. I, I can write a blog. I, I can, you, you might be blessed by something I write, but, but we're not going to make it, you know, uh, Luke 2, you know, Second Luke, because I wrote it. No, it's not Scripture. There's something different about the apostles that had, were eyewitnesses of Jesus Christ. Is this just for apostles? Maybe we don't think that. Maybe we just feel that. Maybe it's an easy excuse. I don't know. But I just want us to look at this a little more carefully to kind of dismantle that. Okay? Because I think when we read this correctly and in context with the rest of Scripture, we see that this mandate is for every believer to go and make disciples. That means if we did pass around a survey and the question was, have you discipled somebody? And your answer is no. That means you're being disobedient. Not, not like it's an option. Not like there's super Christians that disciple people and then there's some Christians that don't really disciple people. There's super Christians that are really good at evangelism and the rest of us, you know, we just support them so they can do it. I think if we look at this a little more carefully, we'll see that this is for everyone. This is for every person that follows Christ. The first thing we see that uh, Matthew says in verse 16, now even the 11 disciples, he's not calling them apostles, and he's trying to draw attention to the fact that disciple means a follower of Christ. Taken together with the fact that if it were only for apostles, then the Great Commission couldn't reach all nations because it would die when the last apostle died. Because I'm not an apostle. John's not an apostle. Andy and Bill aren't apostles. You know, we, we, our shadows don't pass over people and heal them. We don't write scripture. Okay, we didn't spend physical time with Jesus. We're not apostles. 
And so we're not founders of the church. We're just, we've just been passed the baton, right, throughout the generations. So this isn't given to pastors. This isn't given to elders. This is given to disciples. And this is why when you turn to the book of Acts, you see these superstars that aren't elders. They're not pastors. Like Stephen, who we, we think was a deacon. You have Philip. You know, he, he, he sees this uh, Ethiopian uh, eunuch reading out of Isaiah, and he comes alongside the chariot, maybe doing a light jog. I don't know how fast the chariot is going. Hey, do you understand what you're reading? How can, how can I understand if no one explains it to me? Well, hop in. So, so he hops in and explains the scripture to him, and he gets it. Let's pull over. I'll, why don't I get baptized right there? So they pull over, and he, he baptizes them, and then he disappears. Um, these guys are normal guys. The difference is they have the Holy Spirit indwelling them, which empowered them. That's what made them special. When you look at verse 16 and then 19, it says, Now the eleven disciples gathered to him, verse 16. And then verse 19 says, Now go make disciples. In other words, go reproduce yourself. He's not saying reproduce your office, reproduce other people that can write scripture, reproduce other people that can found the church. No, he's saying reproduce other followers. You're a disciple because you follow me. I want you to now go make other people follow me. Lead other people into following me. And do that to all nations. Well, how is it possible to do that to all nations in our lifetime? Because the people that you lead to follow me are disciples. And if the defining moment of a disciple, this is one of those defining attributes of discipleship, to carry out the Great Commission, then they will also pass the baton. This will continue. And so it will spread. Got a couple verses here. Uh, examples from other, a couple other Scripture verses that show how I think when Paul was writing churches, he's expecting that they disciple one another, that, that, that people in the church disciple one another. So the first one's in Colossians chapter 3. Now he's writing to Christians in the church. Colossians is a general epistle, meaning it's, it's written to a church. It's not written to a pastor like 1 Timothy or 2 Timothy or Titus. In those books, he's telling a pastor what to do. But in these general epistles, he's telling churches, people, the saints, the, the, the people that occupy the pew, so to speak. He's telling them, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Now, whose responsibility is it to teach, to let the word of Christ dwell in you richly and to teach someone else? Well, all of the Colossians. Everyone that attended the church in that city, it's their responsibility. He's telling them now, it, it takes work. You have to know the word. You have to let, let that word dwell in you, understand it, be rich in it, but pass that on to others. That's not the job of just the pastor and the elders. That's you guys doing this to one another. And then another passage in Romans. There's so many we could look at. We'll just look at a couple. He's, Paul is writing the church in Rome and he's commending them, those saints that were gathered in Rome. He says, I, I'm satisfied about you, my brothers, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, and able to instruct one another. He's like, that's great. You guys as a church, your knowledge is being built up and you're sharing that knowledge with one another to instruct one another, to teach one another. And that's a part of discipleship. You go, I, I thought we were talking about evangelism, and now you're talking about teaching. And that's another issue we have. We have this dichotomy, right, between evangelism and discipleship. But discipleship, evangelism is just a part of discipleship. 
when somebody is told the gospel for the first time, that's just step one in a line of discipleship. If they finally give their lives to the Lord, then they continue to grow. How do we know that? Look again at this, this, uh, the Great Commission in this last paragraph of Matthew. Jesus said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. Not go therefore and tell people the gospel. Not go therefore and drop a track in someone's pocket and walk away before they realize you did it. Not go and explain someone the four spiritual laws and then walk away and leave them alone. It's, it's more than that. Look at it. Go therefore and make disciples, make followers of all nations, baptizing them, getting them to that point of baptism. That's great. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. But also teaching them, verse 20, to observe all that I have commanded you. You can't teach that in 10 minutes over breakfast. You, you mean, this is a relationship. This is an ongoing process. How do you teach people to observe all that, that Jesus commanded disciples to observe? How do, you, how do you teach the fullness of what it means to follow Christ? Well, it's not one day. It's not one night. It's not, hey, here's a free ticket to a retreat. Go to the retreat. And when you come back, you're fully discipled. It's a process. It's ongoing. And it takes more than pastors and apostles and, and leader, church leaders to do that across time. Go therefore make disciples of all nations, baptizing them, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. So when we look at this, I, I think we, we, can't, we can't relegate this to church leaders. I hope, I hope you see that with me, that this is not uh, on the shoulders of church. Now, church leaders should be doing it. In fact, the, the past maybe almost year now, uh, in, in our elders' meetings, we've been kind of massaging this truth and, and, and working with it, uh, on it with each other. How can we be models of this in the church? So it would also be a, a, a wrong for church leaders to go, hey, it's not our job, it's your job. We'll teach you and you go do it. And then we have no contact with the world, no contact with anybody. We're not, we're not discipling anybody. We're not talking to people about Jesus. Of course not. Of course not. But I'm a disciple. You're a disciple. So we all do it together. But I think some of us maybe feel like, um, you know, we're not worthy. We're not, we're not disciples like this, you know, that follow Jesus. You read the book of Acts and they're preaching and those verses said that they're full of knowledge and they're full of wisdom and that's why they're able to instruct each other and I'm not there. Let's take another look at the profiles of these guys, you know. Let, let's look at Peter's dossier, right? I mean, up until this moment, up until this moment, he's not, he's not that marvelous of a, of a dude, you know, I mean, he's, he's a follower of Christ. Jesus said, hey, you're going to lead this bunch, man. You know, you're, you're, you're aptly named because on this rock, I'm going to build this church. But Peter uh, is the one that denied Jesus three times. Peter and James and John, the, the three that are like, you know, you have, you have the army and then you have the green berets, you know. These are, the, these are the special three that Jesus spent extra time with. They fell asleep on him in his, in his moment of desperation. He's bleeding sweat onto a rock in Gethsemane. And then he turns around for the guys that are supposed to be his support group, and they're snoring. During the Passion time, we get little snippets of the women that are watching from a distance, the women that are attending to the tomb. There's two guys from the Sanhedrin that they have everything to lose by being discovered that they support Christ, and they're embalming him. Disciples, where are they? 
Where are these guys? Gone. I mean, look at verse 17. He, Jesus rose again from the grave. He rose from the grave, guys. He, he was dead, as dead as can be. Like the little munchkin said in The Wizard of Oz, she's not only merely dead, she's really, really, really dead, or something like that. I always remember. I mean, he's, he's got speared on the side, and, and he's clearly dead. He was in the tomb. These guys see Jesus, look at verse 17, and when they saw him, same reaction that the ladies had, they worshipped him, but some doubted. What? <laughs> How was that possible? They're weak. This is the theme that Matthew weaved throughout the whole gospel, that these guys, these heroes that you're going to read about in the book of Acts, these guys struggled with this little faith deal. It's not total unbelief. Doubt doesn't mean complete unbelief. But it's, it's hesitation. It's uh, not a sure-footed faith as they step into worshiping Jesus. And not all of them, but some of them still had this, is this for real kind of thing to it. And Jesus doesn't go, well, time out, because I can't give you the Great Commission unless you guys are all fully on board. No, he just gives them the Great Commission. In other words, your, your faith might be here, your faith might be there, your faith might be sometimes a little more hesitant, sometimes a little more sure, but it doesn't change the commission. You take what you have and you pass it on to someone else. And so uh, what I love about Matthew is I, I, used to, I used to be upset with Matthew. I would say to myself, Matthew... You go into all this detail about Peter betraying, and then you don't go into the detail that John does about Jesus reinstituting Peter. You remember that? When they sit at the fire, and he's like, Peter, do you love me? Yes, I do. And and Well, feed my sheep. And they go through that three times. John kind of picked up the pieces, but but Matthew just just left that out. I think and I wonder if what Matthew is trying to do is it's, Paint a picture of all the disciples' failure. And yes, especially Peter, and then especially Peter, James, and John. But all the disciples abandoning him, and all the disciples you know, having this little faith issue throughout the gospel. And then here, even some of them still doubting, even at the resurrection. But Jesus' reinstitution of their authority to do what he's been telling them they're going to do is right here in this great commission. That's his reinstitution to all of them, all 11 of them. However much you failed or haven't failed, whether you abandoned me or fell asleep in the garden or denied me in front of some chick, you know, by the fire, you have this, you have this commission to go and make disciples. He didn't just leave them there. Of course, the Holy Spirit came and you see that Trinity aspect in verse 19. This will we baptize people into the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is what changes these men and makes them into the people that they are in the book of Acts. And we have that. We have that. If you've given your life to Jesus Christ and He's, 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 he's your Lord, He's your Savior, then His Holy Spirit indwells you to regenerate you. It's not from afar. He doesn't like tap you and leave. He, he indwells you. And so this, this is um, an empowerment and people take that first, you know, couple chapters of Acts and they too closely link the empowerment of the Spirit with the gift of tongues. The gift of tongues was a medium to proclaim the gospel. The link is not between the power of the Holy Spirit and a gift of tongues. The link is between the power of the Holy Spirit and the proclamation of the gospel to people. And so if you're indwelled with the Holy Spirit, you have this charge. 
You might feel weak. You might feel under par. These guys probably did. You might feel like sometimes I wrestle with doubt, but you have to lean on the Holy Spirit, His indwelling presence through you and in you to complete this task. And then my favorite part about this verse, guys, my favorite thing, and I really hope if there's nothing else you remember about this, this, I think, should light our fires to get out there and talk to people. This paragraph is like a sandwich, okay? Uh, It begins with a point, and then there's the Great Commission in the middle, and then it ends with a point. It begins with this exaltation of Christ, and then he gives them the the commandment, the mandate to go reach out. And then he ends with the exaltation of Christ again. In other words, the commandment is worthless if Jesus isn't in charge. So look what he says in, in, in verse uh, 18. The commission doesn't start in verse 19. Go, therefore. That's the middle part of the sandwich, right? But that first piece of bread or that first bookend, to change metaphors, is the authority that's been given Christ. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore. In other words, because of that authority, now therefore you can go. But if I didn't have that authority, that, the mission would be a problem. We'd have all kinds of excuses. I can't. They won't listen. The authorities don't like it. I might lose my job. Oh, I'll, I'll just bomb the whole uh, family reunion. They'll never invite me back. They'll defriend me on Facebook. All kinds of fallout. But Jesus doesn't start with just go. Go on your own. He says, no, all authority has been given to me. All authority in heaven, all authority on earth has been given to me. Therefore go, baptizing, teaching. And then at the end of verse 20, behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. How can you be with me always? Wherever I go, no matter which nation I go to or what part of the nation I'm in, you're going to be with me. No matter which generation or how many generations it takes, you're there. How is that possible? It's only possible if he's God. And he's not only omnipresent, everywhere present, but he's omnipotent, all-powerful. And so there's no authority that can stand against Christ. When he gives them the commission to do it, they go and do it. I've heard this illustration before. Maybe you've heard it, but when a police officer stands in the middle of traffic and holds up his hand and a huge semi slams the brakes... Did he have the power to stop that truck? Well, yes and no. If he wasn't wearing a badge, maybe it would be, you know, the the truck would have just blown by him and, you know, said something out the window while he went by for the guy standing in the street. But if he's wearing a badge and he's in uniform and he puts his hand up, what is that? Authority that's been conferred to him so that he can now do that. And so Jesus is like, I'm giving you guys badges. And they all say Jesus on it. You guys are my representatives. I don't want you to go evangelize people because you're smart. I don't want you to go talk to people about the gospel because you had degrees in it. I want you to go share the gospel because you're so good at it. I want you to share the gospel because it's unstoppable. And the reason why it's unstoppable is because I'm in charge. All authority in heaven and on earth. Well, what are the authorities in heaven? The authority, the principalities of the air, the demons that are at work behind the scenes, the ones that, are, that have a vice grip on your friend's heart and the reason why he's so angry toward religion? Who can release that vice grip? Who can break through that wall? Who can, who can make that stony heart melt? Jesus. Because he has the authority to make them all go away. He has spiritual authority in the heavenly places, all authority in heaven and on earth. I mean, 
It doesn't matter what the government does. It doesn't matter whether things become illegal to share or, or to say. I'm not saying we, we don't play our cards smart, but I'm saying we can't use these things as an excuse to not say anything. And so Jesus says, I have authority. All authority has been given to me. And to the measure that you understand Christ's sovereignty, that's the measure with which you will have boldness to share the word. If you feel small about sharing the word, if you feel scared about sharing the word, then you have a small view of Christ's sovereignty. And isn't that exactly the point? Isn't that exactly what Jesus went after throughout the whole Gospel of Matthew? Every time they had little faith, what do they have little faith in? In who Jesus was. Every time Jesus called them out on little faith, it was because they didn't quite understand that this guy is God. He can command storms. They're like, Jesus, get up. Help us bail this water. Grab an oar. Help us grab the mast. They just thought he was a man that can help out. And then he he calms the storm with a word, and they go, whoa, who is this guy? That's right after he said, you guys have little faith. you, You get who I am, but you don't quite get who I am. I think this morning, those of us who can't pass that test, and I fail it so often, guys. I fail that test so often. Have you discipled someone? Have you evangelized someone? Have you led someone to the Lord? Have you talked to someone about the gospel that's not inside your church, you know? I think we, 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 have, we fail that so many times because we have a small view of who Christ is and what he can do via the Holy Spirit in each and every single one of you. Regardless of your background, regardless of how long you've been a Christian, regardless of how many verses you have memorized, that you can talk to people about the gospel and it can be a powerful, transforming moment for that person. So you don't have to say, you know, I, 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 I want you to hear the gospel. I want you to download the sermon from Lucas. That's great. That's okay. But you share the gospel. God, God intersected that person with you in that moment. Share the gospel. You know, I think a lot of times what we... Uh, struggle with is our what do we share you know what do we teach people if i'm supposed to teach people about the gospel what do we teach them and you don't have to share much more than what those who were getting baptized on sunday shared last sunday you know can you articulate what baptism means can you articulate what the gospel is whether you're a little kid or you've been around the church for decades can you, do you understand this, this idea of substitution that we sin, we have this debt, it's insurmountable, it's unpayable, but Jesus did it for me, and his account was transferred to mine, and my account was transferred to his? It's not fair to Jesus, but it's grace. If you can understand that, you can teach people. People don't get that, guys. They don't get it. They think church is about all kinds of other things, and they get hung up on different questions and evolution and all this kind of stuff and say, okay, hey, how about we get there in a little bit, but can we understand the basic? Wherever we came from or however things started, don't we have a problem with doing bad things? Don't you feel guilty sometimes? What do we do with that guilt? Do you just stuff it in a back closet somewhere? What happens to it? Just take them to the gospel. If the person has three PhDs or it's an eight-year-old child, just take them straight to the gospel. And I think that's what Jesus meant when he says, teach them all that I've commanded you. He's not saying memorize every single word of what I've commanded you. It's all this teaching, the Sermon on the Mount, all the things I've brought you through to teach you that you need Christ because you can't make it to God on your own. And what's beautiful about this passage, guys, is it's often taught as a should. And it is a should. You're a disciple, therefore you should go and make other disciples. There is a should there. But what screams louder at me is you can 
that you can go and make disciples because Jesus has the authority to do it. And he says you can do it. It's like when you're, you have a little kid and they don't feel confident. You're like, you can do it. Don't be scared. You can do it. I know you can do it. And you're just asking them to trust you because you know they can do it, even though they don't know they could do it. You know it. So you're just asking them to trust you. Jesus is saying, I have all authority, guys. I conquered the grave. What else, what else can I demonstrate to you? I'm in charge. Everything has been given to me. I'm sovereign over everything, over all your friendships, over your job, over your connections, over the government. I'm in charge of Obama, his cabinet. I'm in charge of the world leaders. I'm over all things. So go. Don't worry about fallout. Don't worry about what you're going to say or what they might say in return. Just do this thing because I'm giving you the ability to do it via the Holy Spirit. I've purchased that with my death and resurrection. So I just want to leave with a couple of thoughts before we uh, take communion together. Um, Share what you know. Whatever level you are now, if you have someone in your life who doesn't understand the gospel or someone in your life that maybe is a baby Christian, someone who's a little bit further back, maybe they remind you of where you were when you first started out as a Christian. You can move them along by just sharing what you've learned, sharing what you understand. And it may not be the same level as someone else, but it's, it's enough for them to grow. And the other word I want to say is get your knowledge up. Now, some of us, we, we kind of taxi we, we coast at the, sort of the same level. We became a Christian and we went through a few books and then that's it. That's our knowledge. It stays kind of static. And then whatever we get kind of dribbles out of sermons when we pay attention. But, you know, uh, not really getting our game up, so to speak. And so let's get our game up. You know, ask the elders or myself or John or somebody and say, hey, what, what are you reading? What, what are you reading? What, what can I learn here? Let me, let me challenge myself and, and get something a little bit above the front space bookshelf at your family Christian bookstore. Get a little deeper, okay? Yeah, I know I took a shot at them, but I mean, honestly, Aaron and I were talking about that this week, and, you know, we lament sometimes because there's a lot of candy. And it's not that all the candy is bad. Some of it is good, but it's candy, though. And we don't want our flock just eating cotton candy all the time. We want you to move to steak and potatoes so that the other person behind you that's still stuck on the cotton candy, and they're loving it, and they're loving This Christianity is awesome. That's true. It's not that it's not true. It's not that we can't eat cotton candy. That's good. But there's meat and potatoes over here. And it's amazing how deep it can go. But you look at someone else, and they're like, oh, my goodness, that's a five-star chef. I'm just, I just put a meatloaf in the oven. I'm not good. doesn't matter. This person's still eating nerds candy, you know? <laughs> they're going to they're get like a diabetic shock and be disillusioned with Christianity if we don't grow them a little bit. And so, like Peter had encouraged, get out of your spiritual diapers, get off of the milk, and start moving on to the more nourishing aspects of the Christian faith. And that's one of the things that I'm hoping we're accomplishing with not only our growth groups, but with the women's brunches and the men's breakfast. Hey, we're going to do theology. We're going we're gonna to do scripture. We're going to learn more because this is what matures us. And then we're equipped to turn around and help someone else. Um, as we take communion, um, and I'd like to ask the musicians to come forward. As we take this uh, the communion, um, let's remember that this is a visible, visual, uh, physical representation of all that you need to know to get started with making disciples, to talking to someone else about Christ, 
Maybe they're a believer and you're kind of moving them into more maturity. Or maybe they're not a believer, but they have questions and you're bringing them toward the gospel. Wherever they are on this spectrum, bumping them along toward baptism or after baptism, bumping them along toward more maturity in Christ, wherever they are, you never need to know more than what's being represented in what we're taking here today. The gospel is not something like first base. You graduate from the gospel. I don't need to know the gospel anymore or understand it in any deeper way. Now I'm going to move on to Greek, Hebrew, systematic theology. No, all of those other things are always just ways to unpack the gospel. That's what matters. That's what's core. If you can articulate what we're doing today, that Jesus shed his blood and his body was broken so that ours wouldn't have to be, you can share the gospel with anyone. All right. I want to ask the ushers to come forward.